Time right now, 8-12. You're tuned in to WGNS on this Wednesday morning, today the 23rd of September. And with us in studio this morning, we've got Frank Caperton and County Commissioner Pettis Reed. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. So what is new out there in uh, non-radio land? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know... We're with the Rutherford County Historical Society, right? And we consider ourselves to be the most active local history group, at least in Rutherford County, perhaps throughout Middle Tennessee, simply because our membership is growing. We're approaching uh, 400 uh, members, and if you include family members and whatnot, that puts us up to, what, Pettis, around probably 700 or so people. Every Saturday we get together at the Ransom Schoolhouse on North Academy Street for what we call coffee and conversation. Um, Come as you are, there's no speaker, no agenda. We just go in there and have fun. And that's how we learn about our local history. In fact, um, we have a lot, (laughs) it's a lot younger crowd seems to be stopping by recently. And to them, local history is what restaurant used to be around when my daughters were small. And, of course, we have people as well looking for genealogical research or what building used to be there, Civil War, pre-Civil War, and so forth. Yeah, and, and Scott, uh, you introduced me, of course, as a county commissioner. And this uh, this morning, I'm wearing my historical that, hat this morning. You're I guess. a historic county commissioner. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, that's <laughs> it. And each morning I get them look in the mirror, I can see how much more historic I become. <laughs> But uh, I have really enjoyed being a part of this uh, association that we do get together every Saturday morning, sit down, talk about uh, things that have happened across Rutherford County to learn a little bit more about it. Of course, I come from the western part of the county and know what's going on out that way, and then it's good to see what's going on. But, you know, all my life I have dealt with uh, uh, looking at the past and seeing what's going on. Due to the fact, I guess it's where I live, uh, I was uh, I was born in my great great grandfather's house. I was born in the very room that he was born in, and I still live out there. Still live out there on the farm that's uh, been there since uh, the uh, the farm was surveyed back in 1792. So I'm just sort of uh, turned that away towards history, and uh, history is something that I think that we all have to pay attention to. We all have to look at. You know, we learn from history. Uh, we learned learned if what maybe we've done wrong, what we've done right, and I think within the county right here we have to do that. A county as such as Rutherford County, we're changing so that we need to remember our past and where it comes from. Uh, I also sit on the Rutherford County Planning Commission, and the thing about the Planning Commission that I see today is what is coming across our desk as we look at the many changes that are happening within this county. I keep warning individuals as I look at what we see there, I said we do not want to give away the golden goose that has made Rutherford County what Rutherford County is. And I said I think that's something we all need to remember. I said we've got people that are continually coming to this county for something. And I think that's something they're coming for is what we have had all along. I think it's for what my ancestors who come here in 1802 were looking for. And I said, I think it's important that we take a look at what we have and we just don't continually cover it up, but we keep a lot of it available too. So the next generations can say, hey, that's Rutherford County. That's where I'm from, that it doesn't become just a metropolitan area. Now, just a little while ago, uh, Frank, I know you mentioned the Saturday morning meetings or coffee. 
Uh, tell us exactly where that is located, because I want to hear more about the building that it's in, because that's a pretty cool little, I guess, used to be a house, right? Oh, man, I, I call it my mistress. It's called the Ransom Schoolhouse, and it's located at 717 North Academy Street. If you know where Oakland's mansion is, Pettis were, what, about three blocks or so from Oakland's? We're in walking distance. Within walking distance, and the home was built, we think, around 1850. And the reason why we say think around 1850s because, well, the most of the records were uh, destroyed during the Civil War, so we really don't have an exact date as to when it was built. But it was, um, you're right, um, it was a home, but for about, I think, 36 or 38 years, it was a two-room schoolhouse run by a couple of sisters named Ransom, thus the term the Ransom Schoolhouse. And when you come to visit, we have um, what I call our alumni association on the wall, and it's quite impressive, uh, the kids that went to uh, first through sixth grade there. Private school, $8 a month. Uh, we have one of the rooms set up as a eh, circa 1925 classroom. And again, Pettis, how much does it cost to come visit on Saturday mornings? You know, really, it doesn't cost anything. I mean, you can come there and visit and sit around and talk to everybody. If you have something you want to know about maybe your own ancestors, we'll help you look those things up. We have uh, all types of books that can go through and find those things. But what we'd like for you to do is become a member of the Historical Society of Rutherford County, and that's only $25. And with that, you can, uh, you can have a lot of different activities to be a part of it. Uh, we also every now and then give away some free books to individuals who come to that. But the important thing is that you become a part of this uh, historical society. We have a newsletter that goes out. Within it, a lot of different stories about Rutherford County. We have a lot of good uh, historical writers that put things in there. But it also gives you a chance to sit down and talk to individuals that that's what we spend our time doing, is looking up the past, seeing what's going on that pertain to Rutherford County. So um, it's a great place to come to. If you've never been to the Ransom Schoolhouse, you should just come by and see the old schoolroom that's been totally restored. You can look back at what a schoolroom would have looked like back in those days, a one or, or, one or two-room classroom. Uh, we're continually adding to it. Again, this morning, we are talking with Frank Caperton and also Pettis Reed, and we're talking about history here in Rutherford County. And to be a member of the Historic Society, again, it's a flat fee that you pay, is it once a year? Once a year. Once a year, and it's, what was it, how much, 18 or 25 25 $25 a year. And then the meetings, if you want to call the meetings, or the, the coffee hour, that's every Saturday morning, and that's open to the public open to the public from nine o'clock till noon um seven seventeen north academy but scott get this right now if you join today for 25 dollars or join during this period 25 dollars for the entire immediate family and it's good for next year as well so you're getting in essence um three and a half months for for the cost of 12. wait a second that didn't sound right 15 and a half months for the cost of 12. so have you done a lot of research on rutherford county history because what i'm curious about you know right now we're going through this whole covid 19 phase the pandemic but you know i guess back when you were born the uh, spanish flu back in 1918 <laughs> <laughs> but was that something that affected rutherford county yeah, scott this you know it's really interesting when i uh when frank called and said would you take eddie's place eddie uh eddie smotherman was to be here this morning but eddie's gone back to working and uh, 
and I spoke with uh, Eddie this morning, and Eddie, sorry he couldn't be here this morning, so Eddie done an outstanding job for us as a city councilman, and uh, we really appreciate him, but he is a member of our historical society. So I spent most of yesterday afternoon and uh, last night trying to figure out what uh, some things about the 1918 flu, but uh, I had already been doing some work on that because if you walk through a lot of the old cemeteries within Rutherford County, you'll notice that date of a lot of the deaths uh, of the, in those cemeteries in 1918. But the majority of them that you will find will be located within the city of Murfreesboro, more so than you will find out in the rural area. The rural area, as far as the uh, influenza pandemic of 1918, uh, was concerned it, it affected metropolitan areas more so than did rural areas due to the fact the rural areas were already doing some of the things we do today they were already quarantined themselves because of the fact that where they were located they didn't travel to the point of we do today but in 1918 something i run across yesterday in the courier of, of that time in 1918 the fall of 1918 was the Eagleville Academy or the Eagleville School was closing its doors because of the flu and they didn't want people to catch it. So they were closing the schools. I found out they were closing all the dance halls. They were closing all of the, they were closing churches to avoid the flu. Now the flu at that time, nobody really knew what in the world to do with it. It was sort of like our COVID-19. The thing about the flu of 1918, you could wake up in the morning feeling totally outstanding by afternoon you could suddenly just come down severely ill a high temperature an extreme cough unable to breathe and by nighttime you could die wow that, and does that sound familiar you know, all of it is so familiar with what's going on today i mean even the the closure of the schools and, and all of that stuff I, i've read through several diaries yesterday and people talking about what had happened and and it could the thing about it was it could go through a family uh, very rapidly. Uh, I was read, reading about an individual. His job was, uh, you go back, you got to remember the language of 1918. He called his job was plantings. And it was burials is what he did. But he called it plantings. But he was digging graves. And uh, he was told or that morning, he said, I, they needed three graves dug. So he started digging those graves. By noontime, they told him, we need one more. By afternoon, they told him, we need one more. And by later that afternoon, they needed one more. He had dug six graves, and it was all for one family. And in one day. And one day. And they had lost the entire family uh, that fast. But uh, across the this entire area, um, it... Uh, it struck suddenly, but it came in two waves. It came in March. Does that sound familiar? Of 1918, it showed up in March, and it come by affecting a uh, a soldier. You got to remember, 1918 was World War One. Uh, a soldier came down with it. At that time, it wasn't doing a severe damage across the United States or whatever, uh, out in Texas, but uh, there were cases of it. But the severeness hit in the fall of 1918 in the second wave, and that's when the most damage was done across this country. There was a child's uh, <coughs> rhyme that went across the country, and it said, I had a little bird, its name was Enza. 
I opened up the window and influenza. And that was the way it, it went about. In fact, when you see that little rhyme dealing with that with children, children were primarily the ones that were affected most. Uh, ages five and under uh, affected tremendously uh, in 1918. It went from uh, the fall of 1918, the severeness, up into the spring of 1919. Now, one thing I ran across that really I thought was quite interesting, you know, we're right now uh, getting ready for an election coming up and the argument going about, and we're blaming the president for this and we're doing for that. Uh, you know who the president was in 1918? So Woodrow Wilson. Well, he was in the process of trying to end a war. And he goes to Paris in the spring of 1919. When he gets to Paris... As he gets there, he suddenly becomes ill. He comes down with the influenza. So did he have the Spanish flu? I mean, is that what it was? That's what it was. He had the influenza. He came severely ill. But here's the interesting thing. They kept it very quiet. They didn't want to tell anybody that he was sick to that point. And, in fact, if you'll go back and look at history right there, they, they tried to hide it. They wasn't exactly sure what he had. But he had the, the same symptoms as what everyone else uh, was having. In fact, uh, they only sit, sent his representatives down to make the peace talks back and forth. But they said he got to the point where he, <clears throat> he was talking to people about uh, people were stealing the furniture out of his room and things of this type. Nothing like that was even happening. And what it was, he was just delirious from the temperature and things of this type. And they thought they were going to lose him. But then he got better a few days later and whatever, and he did make the peace talks. But the thing was interesting about this was he agreed to things within the peace talks of 1919 that he said when he went over there he was not going to agree to. Hmm. And they said, in all the writings they put out there, they said, we're not sure if he really meant to do that. And they think that maybe he was still under the influence of the influenza. But... There were individuals that, that had the influenza. I, I, I read of some situations here in Rutherford County. Uh, they were talking about their father who had it. He was severely ill, but he got better. But they said he lived to be 94 years of age and that uh, he never had the flu again. So it makes you wonder, said, okay, he was inoculated. And did that take care of him from then on? But the Spanish, uh, you know, you, everybody calls it the Spanish flu. Or, or whatever. The reason for that, that you know, I thought was interesting, the reason they called it the Spanish flu, was the only place it was really being reported about. Uh, in the United States, we were talking about the war. Everything was dealing with the war. The only place it was first reported was over in Spain because they were not involved in the war. They were totally neutral in the war, and their news agencies was talking about the flu. So... That's where the term Spanish flu come from and, and what it was. But most people just basically call it the flu of 1918. That's really interesting. And it's also fascinating how it is similar to what's going on here today with COVID-19, although a, a different era altogether, but yet a lot of the same problems, minus social media, you know, with all the rumors of this or that. But it's very interesting how similar these things are and they're over, what, 1918 to year 2020, over 100 years apart. 102 years ago. And, and the big thing they used to, to fight this flu, they used masks, 
They did use masks. They okay. used masks. The masks became very important. In fact, they sold a lot of the masks. And then uh, the thing that was they found to be uh, causing the most of the deaths was that people would develop not only this severe cough, but it would cause a lot of phlegm within the throat, mm -hmm. and that would strangle them to death. One of the medicines that they found would help with this. Now, you got to remember, this is 1918. They didn't have the antibiotics. They didn't have all this sort of thing that would really work. Now, the thing they found that would really work was something that we have today around here that people go and break up the stills. Moonshine seemed to be the thing that would really clear that phlegm out of the throat. Uh, it became very valuable. In fact, uh, in Memphis, they had made a raid in the latter part of 1918 down that way. They said it was a raid that was valued in the amount of $50,000. On today's market, it would be valued in the amount of a million dollars. But back in 1918, it was $50,000, and they were holding it as evidence uh, for this, this big raid. The federal judges come down and told them to release it to all the hospitals so it could be used as medication. We're but talking about moonshine here. Moonshine. And they released it to the hospitals. Yes, they released it to hospitals for medicine. So that became a lot of it. But some of the medications that was used at that time, one one thing I found that, uh, that became very big in 1918 was vapor rub. That's I didn't when, know that was around then. That's when it became. That's when, huh. when, it, when it really come out. And if you'll remember... Uh, you know, I'm older than in most of you in here. Easy now. But but uh, but the thing is, you didn't find homes after that that didn't have vapor rub. Uh, you didn't find homes after that that didn't have a little bottle of something sitting under the counter whenever somebody would get a cough. Uh, they would use a little bit of spoonful of honey and and something that, that whiskey that was nobody the one didn't I want to know about. So. You know, it, it was something. Uh, you know, back in 1918, uh, it became a situation where uh, the Baptists and the Church of Christ didn't recognize each other at the liquor store. But it was a situation where everybody went to that, that, that type of remedy to, to take care of what they had because they found that it would break up that, that situation. Again, with us this morning, Pettis Reed and Frank Caperton and talking about the Rutherford County Historical Society and uh, a little bit of history right here in Rutherford County. And the Spanish flu is what we were talking about just then, and that was back in 1918 that it hit a lot of deaths, I guess, in 1918 and 1919 because of that flu. And those bodies are buried right here in Rutherford County. I mean, I guess all over some what some of the uh, family cemeteries and different farmers' family cemeteries, or? Evergreen uh, places like that. You'll see a lot of the uh, the dates being 1918. Uh, the interesting thing I found that uh, there were individuals. You know, just like today, we have individuals that make the mask. Uh, a lot of people been making those masks. Same then too, but. Uh, they also used a what they called the burial shroud, uh, where it was just basically a white, somewhat of a sack in a way that they would put them in. One reason being to the fact that in some of the cities it got to, they became a shortage of coffins, and they would use those for the burial. And one thing that they, at that time in 1918, they didn't know that much about the flu and uh, how they did know it, it was easy to catch. 
And the interesting thing that what I ran across when you, you looked at a what, uh, how, how to catch it, it come from the cough and the, and the vapors that would come out and they determine right quick that, you know, the spray. And that's why the mask was the same way as what we're seeing today. And you had to, uh, you had to quarantine. You had to separate people. That's why they shut down just about everything. I thought it was interesting that, you know, we've had all the complaints and the things about asking people to uh, discontinue church services, that they discontinue going to the, the, the entertainments and things. 1918 had the very same thing. But uh, as you go about reading about it in the papers, the people didn't seem to complain that much because it happened so fast. It happened on something they were not totally um, expecting and what they could have been seeing right there. But, uh, but, you, but you're looking, uh, I, was, I was looking here uh, worldwide at that time, there were 50 million deaths from this flu is what they had here. United States, 675,000. That's an astronomical number. 675,000 in the United States. One-third of the world's population had the flu. 500 million cases is what we had here. In 1918, um, the population of the United States was 103 million is what we had. Today, we've got 331 million. So that gives you some idea. Um, Tennessee, we experienced... Uh, um, about the same when you, when you look at this, this situation as far as the world did. When you look at the flu today, we still have 34,000 in 2019 from flu deaths. That's still a big number. That's a large number. Especially considering all the medical advances we have today. But, but back then, still, those numbers are just crazy. Yeah. But, but you know, from the flu, we have uh, what they're projecting that... Uh, we have 35 million that become ill from the flu in the United States. 35 million become ill from the flu. Not saying they die because we've learned so much more. Because just like the individual who said that their, her father caught the flu but became better and he never had the flu again, we now have the flu shots. And I, I just so was when, when – uh, Frank called me yesterday about coming on. I was driving around by, just having to go by a drugstore, and there was the sign, flu shots. And I thought, you know, isn't that interesting? Now we, we have inoculations for it. Now we're talking about COVID-19 that we're working on inoculation in some way. When you talk about pan, pandemics, and people seem like right now that a pandemic is something totally new, but it's, it's not. You know, when Isaac Newton, I, I thought this was quite interesting, when he discovered his theory of relativity, uh, he was in the middle of a quarantine, quarantine from a pandemic. And that's when he, he was at home working when he made his discovery. And that was during a pandemic. The idea of using inoculations come out of the epidemic for smallpox. That was a pandemic. Um, the bubonic plague, the term quarantine, come out of bubonic plague. They, they learned that if you separated the people, that's where that come from. And then you've got to remember that it was Columbus on his second voyage over here when he uh, run into the Native Americans, he brought over measles mm -hmm. and almost wiped all of them out from that. So, you know, 
pandemics have been around for a while. And every time one happens, you know, something comes out of it. So I guess with the badge, you've got to look at, okay, there's something maybe comes out of it. So what comes out of COVID-19, we don't know. Now, I, I'm trying to remember if it was the bubonic plague or what it was, but there is a home in Nashville next to the TBI offices on the TBI campus. And that home, it, it was used as a place for those who had whatever that latest pandemic was to go and, and literally isolate as they pass away um but, but it was we had things like that way back in the early 1900s places for people to isolate and, and die as, right. as sad as that sounds well that's what the flu of 1918 did they, they isolated them uh they, they carried them uh, someplace or the families would just shut off the the house and you, you didn't go there they knew that um yellow fever was done somewhat similar uh, at that time too but uh, th there were a lot of things that, that that happened right here in this county that we see we're doing today that was done in 1918 uh, all very similar all very uh, and we think we've just now invented it uh, we haven't I mean uh, it's uh, what goes around comes around I guess but you wait 102 years and that's why you know, I think it was good this morning we're talking about history. And you can look back at some of this, but uh, there are pictures. Uh, I've seen pictures from the fairground and whatever activities there were out here. There there were people with a mask on, and they were wearing the mask. And uh, they understood it. And they didn't complain. And they didn't <laughs> complain. You know, uh, you're, you're looking at individuals that... Uh, when you think about the county area and the people that were out there, you had individuals that were self-sustaining anyway. They grew their own meat. They grew their own crops. They grew their own food to take care of themselves. They didn't require, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have any of this. So they were already doing a lot of this themselves. So it wasn't that, and you didn't have these little things we carry around in our hand to talk back and forth and, and stir up stuff yeah uh they said okay what do we got to do to stop this and and that's where it was and uh, so do you know about what the population count was in 1918 when all this was happening what in rutherford in county Rutherford county yeah you know i i tried to find that and i just really hadn't found it uh exactly how much how many it was but it's it's not that major uh number that you would think the um I did find that in Tennessee, where the major incident happened as far as the uh, loss of life that did happen was up in uh, Old Hickory, where um, the DuPont plant was. And they were in the process of preparing for, for war and what they were doing there. And that's where the largest number of individuals that come down with it in Tennessee. And I've, I'm trying to find that. I've got a stack of information here that come from it. But um, hey, I'm surprised it wasn't in a more focused area with a higher population like, like Nashville. Uh, even though that's right there next to Nashville, I, I'm just surprised that it wasn't somewhere where there's a higher population. Well, <clears throat> even Nashville itself... Um, you just didn't have the 
the uh, the numbers and and wherever they were very close together together uh it you uh, you had that uh that's where it where the numbers uh developed so anywhere that had a lot of factory work they obviously saw higher death rates and and okay. higher counts of those with the flu i guess yeah uh tennessee had 7,700 Tennesseans to die of influenza. That's the number that actually died, uh, 1918-1919. But the uh, largest number to actually die from one place or whatever was in uh, that DuPont plant. And the thing was, from that DuPont plant is where it spread. Uh, in the Nashville area because that's where it come from and the reason being the fact is that they were developing for for the war effort and they think that possibly individuals from the military come into that plant and it spread from that direction that's scary but yet it, it is so similar to everything today I mean because you hear about one person coming down with COVID-19 that works in a in a factory or somewhere the next thing you know they temporarily halt whatever that you know manufacturing is there because it spreads that quickly but it spread that quickly back then too yes it did and and that's uh, that that that's pretty much it but uh, i even found where they uh if you didn't follow the proper uh sanitation requirements they found uh, they find you 25 dollars. that's a lot of money back that's then. a lot of money back then but that, that would cut it out real quick. Yeah. And, uh, and do those sort of things. Well, this morning we have Pettis Reed with us and Frank Caperton talking about Rutherford County history and the Rutherford County Historical Society, which, by the way, meets this coming Saturday. Uh, Frank, what time? From 9 a.m. till noon, anytime. If you've got five minutes, stop by. If you've got three hours, stop by. Stop by, ask a question about mm-hmm. something that happened years ago in Rutherford County, and hopefully you'll know the answer. It's, it's all about your local history. Very cool stuff. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Time right now, 8.42. You're tuned in to WGNS. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSradio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hi, this is Dave Kiven of Music World and Drummer's Den. We'd like to invite you to come by and see Dan, our guitar tech, Riley, our drum instructor, and Tom, our keyboard and guitar instructor. We offer lessons for any level from beginner to advanced. Our instructors are great with any age, and they'll teach you the songs you want to learn and in the way that you like to learn. Come by in Music World and Drummer's Den. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurant. We're excited to announce that our dining rooms are back up and running. We may not be at full capacity, and we may not have all of your favorite menu items or the favorite touches that you're used to having, but at the same time, we are excited to be able to serve you. We have brought our servers back. We have retrained them. Our cooks are excited to put the steaks on plates that you can cut with a real knife as opposed to plasticware from your home, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. 
If you've got an iPhone, we have an app for that. If you're an Android user, we have an app for that too. You can listen to us anywhere, on air and on demand. We're News Radio WGNS. WGNS is honored to be this year's Luther Award recipient from the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame for Community Service. We are humbled to receive this prestigious award. Thank you for letting us be your good neighbor station. COVID-19 has changed our world. And First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. During these uncertain times, it's good to have a friend to walk with you and help with financial guidance. First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you with free text banking, bill paying, mobile deposits, and more. I'm Shelly Rigsby, manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry. Now a part of the Capstar Bank family, member FDIC. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSradio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Right now the time, 8.45, Frank Caperton and Pettis Reed with us this morning talking about Rutherford County history and also the Rutherford County Historical Society, which is located in the old Ransom Schoolhouse, which was really a schoolhouse at one point. What what year, I, I guess, did it open as a school? I'm thinking, gosh, and I should have this memorized, committed to memory by now, I want to say about 1898 to around 1930, give or take. Okay. Two sisters ran it, the Ransom sisters. And they were never married, never had kids. Private school, $8, what, a semester, a eight, year? $8 a month, and um, several of the students, if they didn't have the money, they'd work it off. You know, bring a bushel of corn, clean the latrines, whatever. What street is this located on for those who have not seen it before? It's on 717 North Academy Street, not far from Oakland's mansion. So the kids that grew up at Oakland's mansion, did they go to this school? Where did they go? Most likely not. I'm assuming that a lot of the kids that grew up in Oakland's mansion were uh, moneyed beyond belief. <laughs> they most likely, that's, that's a question for our friend James Manning, but uh, they most likely went off to they went off to school. This is a Some working class um, subscription school, they called okay. it. Uh, but now, after... After the school closed down, it became a home for somebody for a number of years? Well, it was always in private ownership, but it became, a, we'll call it rental property. Uh, we've gone back through all the different records, including newspaper accounts and all, how many different people rented a room. Uh, by 19, I believe, 1974, 75, it had fallen to complete disrepair. In fact, when you come visit, one of the first things we do is show you a, a couple of photographs of how this, what this home used to look like until Mr. C.B. Arnett, a lot of local people remember C.B. Arnett's auction and such. Well, he graduated, if you call it graduated, he, he went to school at the Ransom School back in the 1920s. Thus, around 2003 or 2004, he purchased the home, and by 2009, he'd renovated it into what we have today. And his family um, gave us that, gave the Rutherford County Historical Society that home in 2010. That's now our headquarters. Pretty cool stuff. Lots of good stories there, and there's great stories all over Rutherford County involving history of different kinds. And another thing that you hear tall tales about would be ghost stories, and it seems like I always hear ghost stories focused on East Main Street and some of those older homes there, but where else do you hear some of the ghost stories that people run across or tell? Ransom Schoolhouse. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, what, what has happened there that 
people have talked about. Uh, we don't we don't have enough time to discuss this on air, but uh, our friends at Stones River Paranormal have worked with us in several other locations throughout the county. And Scott Pettis, I'm convinced that every location, including the studio, is probably haunted. <laughs> So have you actually, I guess, seen something that makes you think that for sure? Seen, heard, felt, you name it, at the Ransom Schoolhouse. That's wild. <laughs> have you heard other people talking about things like that? Well, once I admitted that I actually did see, hear, feel something, several of our longtime members, including a couple of um, founders, said, you know, I too have seen things, but they didn't want to admit it, thus they shall remain. <laughs> and we honest. only drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> No medicinal moonshine? (laughs) That's pretty interesting, though. I I mean, because you, it seems like with history always comes those tells, uh, tall tales or just things about ghosts or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. what people have, sightings, I guess, people have seen this or that. That's right. Like I say, um, I've got some great friends at Stones River Paranormal. Look them up on the internet. They have some really cool stuff about um, sightings, hauntings. They call them investigations here in Rutherford County in some very popular locations. Somebody texted us a question. They were wanting to know, is Saturday the only time they could stop by in order to ask a few questions in regards to history or give you some information about historic things in Rutherford County? Well, I'm going to give out my personal cell phone, um, which is 615-476-7823. Call or text me, and uh, we'll get you in there. I have keys to the place and been known to go meet people there or just at City Cafe, whatever. Again, we're talking about the Rutherford County Historical Society, and a lot of people are behind the Historical Society because they want to make sure that things that happened in the past, old stories, if you would, are not forgotten because well, that's what makes up Rutherford County. Well, we are, I consider ourselves to be amateur historians, but guess what? We're local historians 24-7. We, we don't get paid a penny for this, right, Pettis? That's exactly and right. I like and to tell people we get all the free coffee we can drink as long as we buy it. <laughs> you know, you go to places, new new buildings like Murfreesboro Medical Clinic. You know, they just built that great-looking campus a couple of years ago. But you go in there and you see old historic pictures of like the downtown Murfreesboro Square, the old theater. It's really cool how businesses here in town still keep you know all those old memories alive to a, to a big extent to make people look at them and say you know where was this you know when did this happen i don't i've never seen this well i got to give a shout out to our friends at places such as shacklett's photography um their collection along with um uh, you know leo farrell who was a photographer lee lively um they took all these photos of not just uh, murphy's but rutherford county that had been preserved by the shacklett's and a lot of these pictures, copies of them are in local businesses on the walls there. But then also the Rutherford County Historical Society, I, I assume you have files of old photographs and things like that, too. But Scott, we have, a, a, I think, a very cool website. It has over 2,000 what I call stories about our local history. It's RutherfordTNHistory.org. And we call it a digital collection because, honestly, we just don't have enough room uh, to put things. But what we do do is digitize things and put it on the website. We have a very active Facebook page. Thank you, Carol Robertson-White, for managing the Facebook page. 
And also, of course, um, the government has what we call the Rutherford County Archives. John Lodel and his crew have an amazing facility. In fact, it's undergoing renovation, renovation and expansion right now, right now mm-hmm. because we have so much stuff. So w- where is the Archives building currently? It is on 435 Rice Street, but most people say, well, where's Rice Street? Well, if you know where the Murfreesboro Athletic Club is, pull up to their front door, look to the right of the parking lot. You can't miss the Rutherford County Archives. Is this going to be moved at some point? Because, I mean, as Rutherford County grows, they're going to need more space. There's only going to be more history. Commissioner Reed, they're raising, they're, they're doubling their space, right? That's right. They're ra- uh, raising the uh, raising it some, and they're they're increasing this size. Now, not at the not the present. We're trying to increase it where we can add this more storage to it, mm-hmm. where we can take care of that. Uh, just like what we're doing with the photographs, uh, we have people that bring us photographs all the time to historical society, and we're scanning those in. I don't know how many we have right now. Uh, it's well, uh, good. we've had to increase the uh, size of our storage for just uh, the digital that we have you you understand what it takes to do that and uh, so also at the archives they're having to do a lot of the same thing that we're doing down there uh, you're, you're talking about uh, saving the history whatever we're looking uh, when we make some changes at the courthouse that that will become a, a museum uh, it'll of course still have the mayor's office the trustees office and what we have there but when we move our IT department out of there we're going to use a lot of that space there to turn it into a county uh, museum there to talk a little bit what what has happened there at that courthouse and we'll not uh, a lot of people say well you're just going to make it a civil war uh, museum no that's not the intention whatsoever we're going all the way back to its beginning in fact if you go up there right now you'll see a section of the uh, original fence that circled the courthouse um, that was donated to us by the late Bubba Woodfin just before he passed away it's up there outside you can see it and then the original steps to the old courthouse that was there uh, not this one but the one prior to it uh, we just added that. Uh, the mayor has just brought that in. You'll see it right in front of the Christmas tree now. So if you want to go up there and see that, sit down and and uh, eat a pucket sandwich sitting on that, you'll be fine. We see a lot of people doing that right now. But but we're trying. They're all over this county. People are trying to maintain the the history of this county, and I think that's great. Uh, being a historian myself, I've I've got a farm office that I have all types of books in and I keep all types of pictures and things of this type and there are families all over this county that are doing the same thing. You know with the Rutherford County Courthouse I think sometimes people get a little hung up on the Civil War history surrounding it when in reality that was only a small chapter because there's so much more so many more years that surround the courthouse. Absolutely and in fact when uh, it was originally um, surveyed the the two and a half acres in that little square right there you had the courthouse you had the jail and you had the stocks that that's what the original designation for those two and a half acres that would uh where the courthouse sits right now so we have still have uh, the courthouse it was built in 1859 we don't have the jail and we don't have the stocks there some people think we need to bring the stocks back, but we haven't done that yet. Do we have the oldest still-standing courthouse in Tennessee, or is there another county that has that? I think there are still... Uh, I think Williamson County's courthouse, uh, 1798, I, I believe. I think it is. I think it's one of those. But uh, there are, I think there are four 
I think there are four across the state. Or six. Six antebellum courthouses. Yeah, they're just still left, and and we're very careful with this courthouse up here. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you know, you uh, you you think about that. People, uh, I know when when people want to use the courthouse for different things, we always take that in consideration that this is the only one we have. And that's why we are very careful with it. Uh, we've just got through renovating. Uh, it, it really looks good, the new lighting on it, but all the things that have been done to it, uh, it's something that the citizens of this county can be very proud of. It's something they can go and, and still see. I mean, that's a courthouse that was built in 1859. It went through some tough times right there during the Civil War. I mean, it went through a battle. It It went through occupation. It went through... Uh, different things of that type. It, it's gone through all these things. That was a hospital during the Battle of Murfreesboro. Uh, men, men uh, died in that in that building there from the battle. So um, there are stories. You, you're talking about being haunted, and stories. Uh, there are stories in that building right there. And trials. Trials, and trials took place inside that absolutely. building. Absolutely. It's wild to imagine all that has happened in that building and directly around that building. And, it, and it's still happening today when you look at we still have the county commission that meets there and all the things we're discussing. Uh, you know, I was just looking at our agenda coming up for October. We've got three major things coming there now that, are, that will affect this county. Uh, we've got uh, a group this morning to put in a, uh, a raceway uh, to the west of here. So that will be coming in. Uh, there is a, a major development wanting to come in out on 96. There's an industrial park this morning to be built out towards uh, Sulphur Springs. So that building is still an important center of Rutherford County. Right now that time, 8.58. We only have about one and a half minutes left here. But, uh, Frank, you kind of looked excited when we talked about the fact that trials were held court trials were held in the old county courthouse well actually what i was thinking is that um how many times now twice um various commissions and both local and state and federal have wanted to tear down the courthouse because it was too our small. courthouse here yes back in the 30s huh. when they were trying to create jobs you look around so many counties we'll just pick on tennessee do not have a historic courthouse because they were raised to create jobs to build a concrete courthouse so I mean, just think about it. Just think of what all, how many storms has it seen? How many, yeah. how much controversy, how much joy? And now look around every Saturday morning, thanks to our friends at Main Street, Murfreesboro, we have the Saturday market on the square around a courthouse that was built in 1858. Very cool stuff. Again, with us this morning, Frank Caperton and Pettis Reed talking about history here in Rutherford County and the Rutherford County Historical Society, which, by the way, again, meets this coming Saturday, every Saturday. Give us the times again. For any time you want to stop by from 9 a.m. to noon, 717 North Academy Street. You can't miss us. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for joining us Thank today. You. Thank you. 9 o'clock and coming up next, a look at local news. After that, CBS News will update us on everything happening around the country and around the world. Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk.